So our scripture text this morning on this Thanksgiving Sunday is from Luke's Gospel. And as we'll hear in the story, Jesus is out amongst the people and encounters ten lepers who are standing outside of the culture. In that world, they were obligated to keep themselves apart from other people. They were required by law, according to Leviticus 13, to cover their mouths and to call out when someone would approach, unclean, unclean. And they would position themselves, however, near traffic in order to appeal for people's charity, much in the same way that we might see individuals standing near intersections with cardboard signs asking for food or work. Well, these 10 lepers, they call out to Jesus asking for mercy, and Jesus, as you'll notice, doesn't do anything miraculous. There's no special words, no special actions, just simple instructions to go and to present themselves to the priest, again, in accordance to the law of Leviticus 13. In all ten of them, they get up and they go, doing just as they are told. And on the way, the text says, they are made clean. And that, dear church, is when the story gets interesting. From the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Here's verses 14 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not 10 made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and to give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you. So there is a commercial that is circulating right now about Thanksgiving that concludes with a famous quote that is adapted from W.S. Gilbert that reads, it's not what's on the table that matters, it's who's around it. It's not what's on the table that matters so much as who's around it. I know that many of you, many of us will be gathering together this week with family, and that can be a time of joyous celebration And it can also be stressful. As you sit down this week, maybe your family and maybe your extended family, maybe there's a chance that all of them will be a model of mental health and emotional intelligence. 
or maybe not. Rick Warren, pastor in Southern California, says that every family, every group, and I would argue that every church has at least one person that requires extra grace. In my family, we call those people EGRs, extra grace required. And like I said, I'm pretty sure that every family has one. So this Thursday, as you gather together with your family, with your friends, as you look around the table, and if you cannot find one person that requires extra grace, it's probably you. There is something so appropriate about coming together on the week of Thanksgiving, about dropping all of the plans and the preparations, all the running and the traveling, and come to this place, this holy sanctuary, to come and simply be still and to give thanks for the whole of our lives. And that's not always easy to do, is it? For many of us, this time of year brings to our remembrance all the things that are different this year. All of the things that are missing. For some, it might be a job or a child. For some, it might be a parent, a spouse, a friend. Or maybe it's something a little less tangible but still very real. Maybe it's it's happiness or wholeness or contentment, a sense of, of purpose in your life. For many, I'm aware, this year there will be an empty chair around the table where a loved one has sat for years and years and years, and now they're gone. It's important for us to acknowledge that this has been a rough year. With the pandemic, with all of the divisions in our culture, both racial and political, all that is going on around us, for many, this has been a hard year. A study came out this last week by Barna Research that pointed out that 38% of clergy 38% of clergy have considered not just quitting their jobs, but leaving the ministry altogether in the last 10 months. For mainline Protestant, that number is closer to 51%. This has been a hard year. Back during the days of the Depression, there was a group of clergy in the Northeast that gathered together to discuss how they should conduct their Thanksgiving services. This is a small town And every year they would gather together all of the different churches and they would have a community Thanksgiving service on the Wednesday night before. And as they got together to plan, one of them, one of them thought that here we are in the midst of the depression. Things are about as bad as they can get. There's no sign of relief in sight. The bread lines were depressingly long. The stock market was down. Unemployment was up. And the term Great Depression was a pretty apt description of the mood of the country. And the clergy that gathered that day decided that maybe the best thing would do would be just to sort of lightly mention Thanksgiving. Just lightly touch on the subject in reverence to the human misery that was all around them. But after listening for just a while, one of them spoke up and said, with all due respect, my friends and colleagues, this was not the time to give a mere passing mention to thanksgiving. In fact, he says, just the opposite is necessary. 
This was the time for the nation to get matters into perspective and to thank God for the blessings that are always present even when they are hard to find. When they're hidden due to the hardship that's all around us. And I think he's right. I think he's right because most intense moments of thankfulness are not found necessarily in times of, of plenty, but when the difficulties of life are, are all around us. Think, for instance, of the, of the pilgrims on that very first Thanksgiving. Half of their people were dead. They were without a home, no country to call their own, but still in the midst of that, there was thanksgiving to God. And it was that same sense of gratitude in the midst of struggle that led Abraham Lincoln to establish the very first official holiday Thanksgiving in the midst of the Civil War. When the list of casualties seemed to have no end, when the very nation itself struggled for survival. Anne Lamott once said, it's easy to thank God for life when things are going well. But life is much bigger than we give it credit for. And much of the time, it's a lot harder than we would like. But it's a package deal. So maybe this is exactly what we need. Or what could be better than something to raise our spirits than a day that we gather together to celebrate what I like to refer to as the three F's. Food, family, and football. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Here's what I think about gratitude, about feeling grateful, that it is a universal experience, that it's intuitive, it's almost instinctive to us. To those outside of the church, it's still instinctive. They think, thank goodness for whatever may be happened. For us inside the church, people of faith, we tend to thank God, but we are instinctively grateful, even if we might express it in different ways. And it's almost like we can't, like we can't help it. And I say almost because I mean almost, because when it comes to expressing it, feeling it is one thing, expressing it is another. Expressing it to other people is not always intuitive, fluid, instinctual. And not only can we help it, but all too often we do help it, and we withhold our gratitude. And when we do, have you noticed that it creates a gap in the relationship? There is an unfilled space. There's unfinished business that creates a, a glitch in the re relationship itself. For instance, have you noticed that there are few things that sting as much as ingratitude? And you know why, of course, it's because ingratitude essentially communicates, I don't see you. I don't recognize what you've done. I don't appreciate or recognize your efforts, your sacrifice. It communicates, you know, in some way, shape, or form, you owe that to me. And so why would I thank you for giving me what you owe me? You know what's odd about this is that the other person, the other person at the end of that ingratitude, they didn't do anything to us. They just didn't do anything. You thought that they were going to hit the tennis ball back to you, but instead they just sort of stood there and let it hit the fence behind them. And few things, am I right, sting more 
are more hurtful than ingratitude. You know, the other odd thing in this is that that when we are the recipient, when we are on the stinging end of the ingratitude, the victim of the gratitude, ingratitude, it's all we can see. It's all we can see in that situation. And we can't possibly miss it. But yet it is completely invisible to the perpetrator. But yet when we are the ones that create that gap, it's the other person that can see it. In fact, it's all they can see. But we can't see it at all. We're clueless, which is also obvious to the other person. Now, I have to be careful here because outside of my family, and if I'm honest, even those inside my family, it's easy for me to just write off ungrateful people. It's hard for me to say, but it's true. Gratitude goes a long way with me. And ingratitude, that goes a long way with me as well. There are people, honestly, that I would have a hard time extending generosity to because the last time that I was generous with my resources, with my time, with my energy, they didn't respond as they should the last time. And I need to watch that. I need to be careful to keep that in check because as a person who follows Jesus, I am called to be generous regardless of how people respond to my generosity. But have you noticed it's a whole lot easier to extend generosity to grateful people? And the reason I bring that up, the reason I lift myself up as an example is because your ingratitude you might not even be aware of it. Accidental ingratitude, you might say, might be living a mark. It's underlying your whole respectability, and you don't even know it. Those ungrateful people that I have a hard time not writing off, they have no idea how I feel about that. And the truth is that people may have written you off as well and not told you, They just moved on. Now, let me tell you that this is an uncomfortable thing, me talking about this, being so vulnerable about that, in part because there are probably people here this morning or joining us online or listening to us on the radio. There are people within the vicinity of my voice that have experienced a lack of gratitude from me. And here's the point. I have no idea who they are because I am clueless in that moment. Several years ago, the previous church, I was having lunch with someone. I was just getting started in ministry, and in the church that I was serving at at the time, there was a, a powerful person, had a pretty significant job, And I wanted to pick their brain about some things, and so I asked them if they would give me an hour for lunch. And we met for lunch, and here it is 20, 25 years later, and there's only one thing that I remember from that hour. And the truth is, is it's probably not what he would want me to remember. In fact, he probably doesn't remember this at all. Now, When we made the appointment, he says, yes, I can do that, but at one o'clock, I've got an appointment, I've got a meeting in my office, and so I've got a hard stop. And I said, okay. 
Well, we were getting close later in the hour, and it was about 12.55, and I looked at my watch, and he was talking in the midst of a thought, and I interrupted him. And I said, hey, listen, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I know you've got a hard stop at 1 o'clock, and I want to be sensitive to your time. And in that moment, he interrupted me. He interrupted me, and he said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. They all work for me. And I've always remembered that. And so I made a decision right there in that moment that I would never take for granted those I work with. And I would never consider that they work for me. Have you ever been taken for granted? Is there anything more dehumanizing? Is there a worse thing than feeling like you were taken for granted? But yet, on the other hand, if you were on the other side of that, if you've been accused of being ungrateful, that's no picnic either. That's not very fun either. And you probably, in that moment, you probably got defensive yourself. They're accusing you of not feeling something. And so your response, your initial defensive response must have been, well, how can you know what I feel? How do you know how I feel? That's just the point. They don't know how you feel. They only know how they feel. And in that moment, they feel unappreciated and taken for granted. And you probably, in your own defense, you came back and you said, look, I am grateful. Which is translated, I am grateful on the inside. I have grateful thoughts. I have grateful feelings. And while that may be true, that is completely meaningless. You see, because unexpressed gratitude is actually experienced by the other as ingratitude. It's the expression of gratitude that closes the gap in the relationship, completes the loop. I want to talk for just a minute for all of the young people here, the youth, middle school, high school. I know there's some here this morning. I want to talk to you. The rest of you can kind of tune out, check your email, whatever you need to do. But I want to talk just to the youth for just a minute. And I want to tell you, young people, something. But don't you dare tell your parents that I told you this, okay? Are you listening? If you ever want your parents to say yes more often than they say no, when you ask for things, if you want them to say yes more often than no, the best advice that I have for you is to be grateful for everything and to do it out loud. And here's why. Because your parents are so used to being taken for granted and if you are a typical youth, and I know no one wants to consider themselves to be a typical youth, but there's a, a sense in most of us at that age that think, well, of course I deserve this. The nice clothes, the nice room, the food, the rides. For after all, they're my parents. That's what they're supposed to do. Well, Here's the advice that I have. Don't be typical. In fact, turn up the gratitude. And the reason is, is because it will melt their heart. And gratitude is the language of the heart. And so young people, be ridiculously grateful. Okay, the rest of you can listen back in now. <clears throat> 
So in the story that we heard a minute ago, Jesus is passing through this remote area. And he encounters these 10 men with leprosy. And in that time, uh, people with leprosy sort of hovered between life and death. They weren't dead, but yet they couldn't really live. And even worse, they had to stand at a distance and watch everybody else live their life, the life that they so desperately wanted. Leprosy was considered at that time highly contagious, and so the law required them to live on the outskirts, and they had to warn people, and so they would create their own little communities, their own little colonies, and they would live together. And at that time, according to the law, as I said a moment ago, anyone with a skin disease after being quarantined, practicing social distancing, after that they had to go back to the local priest to be given the all clear. And Jesus tells them in that moment when he encounters them on the road, just go, just go. And the implication was that by the time that they would arrive, by the time that they would arrive, they'd be all clean. Now notice in that moment, for them to get up and go before they were healed, before anything has changed, that was an expression of extraordinary faith. And the text says, as they went, they were made clean. Now there's a phrase that we toss out in the church from time to time. As people of faith, we talk about the importance of walking by faith and not by sight. This, this is what that looks like, church. To get up and go. That's literally what this means, what this looks like. Now the twist of the story, of course, is that one of them recognizes what's happening and turns around. He goes back. He completes the loop. He closes the gap. He's not content to just feel grateful. He needs to demonstrate it, to express it. And as much as he must have been ready to get back to the life that he so desperately wanted, he knew that he had to, to close that gratitude loop. Because Jesus had just given him his life back. And so maybe you could say it this way, that he goes back in order to thank the one who helped him move forward. He goes back to help the one who helped him move forward. And then there's this part that must have made Luke smile when he was writing it. It's just four words in Greek, five words in English. And he was a Samaritan. The implication, of course, is that the other nine were not. This one, this Samaritan, who must have been experiencing alienation as an outsider, as a forger, those on the margins for a number of different reasons, for a number of different ways, he was experiencing this discrimination. And so as a result of that, he was extra grateful. The story doesn't end there, though, does it? Jesus asked, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There were 10. Weren't there 10? But the other nine, he says... Where are they? I suspect he was not really expecting an answer, but simply making a stinging observation that something is missing, that some ones are missing. Now, we as hearers, we hear that, and we judge, and we ask, yeah, where are they? But before we judge too harshly, I imagine that if someone were to confront those other nine about their lack of ingratitude, that they would have been defensive. 
and quick to respond. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. We are grateful. Our hearts are overflowing with gratitude. In other words, they felt it. They didn't, they just didn't express it. Now, let me be honest and to ask you to be totally honest and to simply ask, is expressing gratitude difficult for you? Are you more comfortable pointing out how something could have been better than recognizing how good it really is? And if so, have you done some work on yourself, some introspection to look closely so that you can figure out why you're wired that way? And if you've not, let me give you a good place to start. And that is, I believe that most of us feel that gratitude feels like an admission of weakness. That it makes us feel like that we might not have been able to accomplish to do what we would have accomplished without their help. And guess what? You couldn't. In the wake of your progress, in the wake of your success, there are dozens and dozens of people who helped facilitate that progress. And acknowledging how other people, how they helped you, is not a weakness. It's a sign of maturity. You see, gratitude is evidence that you have life and proper perspective. That you wouldn't be without be where you are without the help, without the support, without the encouragement of other people, and you owe them a debt of gratitude, and that's okay. It's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of maturity. So church, I want to invite you. I want to encourage you to be the one. To be the one that goes back to thank those who enabled him to move forward. And simply ask, who are those people in your life? Who has helped you move forward in your career, in your relationships, spiritually, emotionally? Who are those people that have helped you move forward? And have you helped them? Have you expressed your gratitude? Maybe you felt it. But have you expressed it? And sure, you may say, I pay them. Or, or I married them. Or they're my mom. But have you expressed your gratitude? When someone tells your story, will it be the story of the one or the nine? You see, the great news in all this is that you get to decide. You get to decide one story, one expression of gratitude after another. You see, gratitude that we feel but don't express is simply ingratitude by another name. And it's true with our relationship with our family, with our friends, with those that are sitting behind, beside us in the pews, with our mentors, with our teachers. And church, hear me when I say this, it's true with our relationship with God too. If you want to deepen your connection with the divine, grow closer to God, might I suggest that you start by being ridiculously grateful. And not just feeling that gratitude, but expressing it. So church, let's close the loop. Let's complete 
the gap. Let's get in the habit of circling back. Let's decide today. Let's decide today that we're going to be the one. Amen.